0: This is SciBite, episode 102 for September 17th, 2013. And welcome to SciByte, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on Tuesday evenings and fresh on Wednesday mornings over jupiterbroadcasting.com. And of course, streaming live over jblive.tv. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather.
1: Hey there, Chris.
0: Hey, Heather. Happy science to you.
1: Happy science. So,
0: I know there's been a few stories in the news this week. What are we talking there may about? We have.
1: They're <laughs> so going to take a look at Voyager 1's journey into interstellar space, a possible <laughs> HIV vaccine, Gears in Nature, Curiosity News, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week.
0: I've been waiting all week, so let's dig in to our first news story. got a hint, an intuition as to what the story might be, Heather, but I'll let you make it official. What is our first news story?
1: So NASA has given an official stamp of approval to think that Voyager 1 has entered interstellar space and has actually made, and actually made the transition a year ago.
0: Oh! Oh, really?
1: Yes. Well, we've heard the yes, no, yes, no yeah. thing going on for a year, pretty much. And so... Well, first of all, there's the giant question of where is the, quote, edge of the solar system? Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where they never had a definition of planet for the longest time, and then they just gave a definition to it. But for the solar system, it's kind of a little bit harder because we only have so many experimental data. We only have so much data about. Yeah, <laughs> I, g- I guess is it's where. not
0: like we've it's not like we've crossed this boundary a lot of times before.
1: <laughs> yes, so there's there's it is really like leaving an onion. There are all these different layers of what's going on. Uh, Heaven's Revenge said it's the heliosphere,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I'm going to talk about here in a more here in a minute, but it's essentially this another one of these various bubbles around our solar system mm-hmm. as we know it mm-hmm. with the eight planets now. So, what's going on is the heliosphere. It is a region of space mostly made of the sun. is sort of a bubble of charged particles surrounding the solar system. Okay. And I'm moving my arms in a circular fashion even though you can't see it.
0: Theater of the mind.
1: Yes. Now, these are electrically neutral atoms in the Extrasolar volume. So interstellar space has all these electrical neutral atoms. Now, the sun is letting off a uh, positively, I believe. They're not neutral. They have a, a charge. Oh. So they're saying, okay, well... When they start when to you, drop
0: off, essentially, right? Is that the Yeah, edge? when it starts to
1: drop off, when you see the yeah, Heaven's Revenge, it's uh, traveling through this magnetic shell. So you can kind of see a point that you say, "Oh, the charges are different here." Now, a lot of scientists say, "Yes." Arm oh, chopping in air. That is the edge of the solar system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, some other scientists say, "No, it's the Oort cloud, which is a hypo—they uh, think is a spherical cloud of mostly icy planetesimal, lots of icy chunks, but like fifty thousand AU, so fifty thousand times." the distance that Earth is, which is almost a light year. Now, the Voyager is 17 hours, uh, light hours away from Earth. Hmm. So it's kind of this boundary of where it depends on who, yes, who we decide where the edge of the solar system is. But NASA has given its you know, stamp of approval that crossing that magnetic barrier was the thing.
0: So they, are they actually saying it's left the solar system or are they kind of couching it by saying it's left the magnetic, magnetic atomic influence or whatever of the sun? Like what are they actually no, saying?
1: They're saying it has left the air quotes solar system. Wow. But the heliosphere, we were talking about that giant bubble around the sun that just sort of it's everything that's gravitationally has any gravitational bound by the sun. At the edge of that, then it starts to lose. Another star comes flying by and it can, you know, steal things from that. But that's sort of this, the edge of what the sun's gravity can reach. Hmm. And that is what the heliosphere is. So they're saying, nope, we haven't got there then, but we have left what they are marking as the edge of the solar system.
0: Wow. That feels historic.
1: Yes, it most definitely is. It's in interstellar space. You've got all these particles flying around in all these different directions. Now the sun is obviously sh- shooting things out in one direction. Sure. So they say, "Hey, when we see a switch in the magnetic field, then obviously that'll say, "Hey, we are seeing the sun's magnetic field here across a barrier. Now it's everywhere, so we're definitely going outside the solar system at that point." Now one tripping point is what they always kept saying is we need, you know, situations one, two, and three in order for us to say it's out of the solar system. And one of them was a shift in that magnetic field. Now, we really haven't seen a clear change in that. So they're trying, so they, since they hadn't seen that, they're trying to say, well, we could also look at properties of other things like ionized plasma. Mm. So the the heliosphere of the sun is surrounded by this ionized plasma outside of a certain bubble. Then you get Things from, you know, explosions from other stars and things like that. And difference would be that the plasma density, so you have the density of it, gets much denser. So they had an instrument that would measure the density of this ionized plasma, except it stopped working in the 80s. Oh.
0: Now, <laughs> is that because it failed or because they've been kind of slowly shutting things down?
1: No, it actually failed. Uh, actually failed. Mm. In the 80s. Okay. So what they're able to do is sort of use a different instrument, use the antenna, and and kind of get some information from that. Okay. Actually, what happened was they can see coronal mass ejection. So those things where, you know, big chunk, you know, quote big, chunk of the sun flies off and it hits Mm -hmm. the earth and create all those beautiful aurora Mm -hmm. and magnetically charged. And what they're able to see is... hard drives. Yeah, I can crash half days or power, (laughs) things like that. So there was one that ejected in March of 2012. And it actually went in the direction of Voyager 1 and hit it like 13 months later. So in April of this year. So when that hit, quote, hit Voyager, it sort of vibrated the spacecraft just a little bit. So you can see this oscillation like a violin string. And the pitch of that, they're from the pitch of that they're able to sort of back calculate and say, all right, here's the density of the plasma. Oh at my
0: this gosh! Point. Oh my gosh, that's amazing.
1: So at that point, they said, oh my gosh, that's like forty times denser than hmm. Hmm. what we expect. What we expected to be there. So they're like, okay, well, let's let's backtrack our data. Hmm. So they started going back into the older data and see if they could find other chroma mass ejections and see what. It The data set from that, so they went, all right, let's go back to, all the way back to August of 2012, where they saw a coronal loss ejection at that point. And they said, wow, it's actually the same density there as well. So that's why they're saying, well, they think is actually all the way back in August of last year. Now, there was some indication last year that it was one of the, that it would happen, but because steps one, two, and three were all colliding they went, well, we're going to hedge our bets for now. Hmm. And, you know, scientists almost never agree on anything. <laughs> and even some of the people on the Voyager team that wrote the paper that say, yes, the plasma is dense enough here, even some of those scientists say, I, I think we may be lacking a little bit of enough data. Really? So definitely not everyone agrees. One of the big sticking points is the shift or non-shift in the magnetic field that they are not seeing. So that is one of the main reasons why there's still kind of – there's a lot of hedging bets at this point.
0: You know, um, the day that this story broke, one of the things that was kind of a treat for me is uh, some of the scientists working on this project didn't ask me anything on Reddit. And oh, yeah. s- and some of the guys that were answering questions in this thread have been working on this project since 75 and 74, and so i mean they 've been there you know forever, so i just i just I, re- I reflect on that and think of the of the accomplishment and 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 you know how proud they must feel for working on this for so long and and one of the things that they talked about very matter of factly is that they you know now they 're kind of transitioning to a mode of um prolonging the life of this of this spacecraft I guess or probe or whatever mm-hmm. as long as possible like they're going to start shutting down different instruments and they have been already but they're going to start shutting down more to to make sure to to keep some of the core essentials online as long as possible and and what what struck me about this not to get um very us centric but what a, you know what a what a proud accomplishment for the United States to be the first nation to leave the solar system and it strikes me that This is the sort of long-term investment that, you know, takes 30-plus years to pay dividends where we start something today and then we don't reap the benefits in terms of space exploration for 35-plus years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the scale that these kinds of projects operate on is is really impressive. And I I look at this now and I think it's pretty exciting to be able to, to really achieve something like this within some of the scientists' lifetime that have been working, they've been working there now, and they're also working on other projects as well, on other projects. So it's really mm-hmm. kind of this cool combination of being able to witness this within our lifetime, even though it's something on the scale of interstellar space travel. But it's also really neat in that uh, it's something that NASA worked on really hard a long time ago, and and we oh, yeah. still today get to be delighted by it.
1: I've seen, I think I remember talking to someone uh, from NASA saying that when they have these type of missions that are going know, you know, has the possibility of going really long term. They specifically select a chunk of the team that is younger.
0: Oh, interesting!
1: Because you want you a want chunk them to be of the around. team to be able to continue on with the mission as long as it, you know, as long as it might go. I mean, the plutonium wow. fuel that they have mm-hmm. says it can go another seven years, and they'll that doesn't they'll seem start, very long. Well.
0: I mean, I know in retrospect it is, but I yeah. wanted to keep going, Heather.
1: <laughs> well, they're going to start shutting down all yeah. the instruments yeah.
0: by yeah.
1: – um, well, all not the whole thing, but just in all the instrumentation for another seven years. So in 2025, by that time, everything – all the instruments will be turned off, but they'll still be operating the spacecraft mm-hmm. until 2035.
0: That's amazing, At that right? point,
1: they'll just be kind of getting – Basic engineering data, right? Essentially saying, I'm alive. "Hey, can I'm you working. hear me? Yeah. Are you alive?" Yeah. And just kind of seeing what happens with the basic information on it.
0: What strikes me, I mean, as so profound though is, I mean, in theory, this thing will continue on for yep. a very, very long time, perhaps longer than us. And I'm just, I'm blown away that at least at this point in human in human history, we're able to watch it. Right, yeah. there could be people generations down the road that this is more like a piece of history, kind of like kind of like for me, the moon landing is, right, but this is actually still a we're still making history with this one. It's really fun yes. it's fun to watch that
1: oh well, yeah, incredibly so what one of the funny things is Voyager Two isn't quite outside the solar system. It's mm-hmm. not at that point yet. They don't know how long it would be, but Voyager Two actually launched before Voyager One by two weeks. So it is, Voyager 2 is the longest running right. instrument, but Voyager <laughs> 1 is the farthest. Now, some of that is because um, one of them got shot along the plane of the solar system. You know, they both kind of use the gravitational swings around various planets to help get them moving. And that's what actually makes them move so fast is what they did. One went along the plane of the solar system, and the other one actually went up in a 90-degree angle. So they're kind of in... Very going very different directions away from the sun, so there's also the the whole aspect of the bubble surrounding the sun may not be well, most likely is not the exact same no matter what, in whatever direction you go to. Some of that depends upon where the sun is in compared with the whole galaxy. Mm. So it's kind of rotating around the galaxy, and then you get that whole thing where you know there's a rock in a in wa- running water you can kind of see as it loops around the rock and it has a tail a little bit. So that's the kind of thing where you're seeing that. So it'll look differently. It'll have be shaped differently to ma- in whatever direction you're going to.
0: How do they measure that exactly? Like, how can they... I mean, I, I realize they, they must have some sort of instrumentation that's told them these, these are the shapes. But, I mean, when you're talking about... Uh,
1: Looking at other stars... Looking in, we were able to see in other, you know, parts of the galaxy, in the Orion Nebula. They have, um, I didn't put it in here, but there's images, what they call the finger, they, you know, they call it fingers of God. And it was these, where this nebula is shooting off all this, um, you know, streams of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can see little dots where there is a little black hole in the middle of all this you know atoms and things and it kind of goes around so that what happens is that is a star that has started its own little solar system type thing going on so they can watch
0: that and then they can
1: watch and we're seeing you know these now extrasolar planets and so we see all of these various solar systems in different stages of development so we're able to look out and say hey this is what it looks like this is what we kind of see there so apply
0: that model Apply us, right?
1: that model and make a good guess as to what's here
0: based on observation,
1: yep, based on all our observations and extrapolation of data that we're actually getting now from the voyagers.
0: gosh, that's cool,
1: yeah, and uh, if you go to the show notes in the show notes, there's a youtube uh, video calling Voyager captures sounds of interstellar space oh,
0: you know what that's so funny that you brought that up because I actually had a I wrote down a little note to ask you about that in the post show. So this is really interesting because I don't quite grok how they did this, but I caught the mm-hmm. video of it this last week and I don't know why it just it just uh hit my radar, but uh it sounds amazing. It's also kind of creepy.
1: Yeah, well essentially what it's doing is saying, here's the frequency of the data that we're having and they make it into you know, or make it into and amplify it into a way that human ears can hear it.
0: So they so it's not actually so okay a little bit so it's kind of like where they take like an infrared image here it is right here I guess that's actually not as creepy as the one I heard the other night oh
1: that's creepy yeah I was like wait oh I didn't that, hear the creepy here that
0: that is creepy I heard another one that was uh, quite a bit longer I wonder if um
1: the one that the clip that I found was probably just a shorter one that I didn't
0: Kind of sounds like a horror movie, Heather. A horror here, movie? And, and here comes another one. I think this is... Comes right... <laughs> oh, that's that's a planet making that sound, right? <laughs> no, that's not a planet. Oh, that, oh, right, right. That's right. That's, that, Interstellar space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Sounds of... Here we go, Heather. I'm going to play something for you. And oh, no. this is, this is what I was talking about. This is the sound of Jupiter. You ready for this?
1: Okay.
0: Okay. It's a little low, but do you hear it? This is Voyager recorded this.
1: Oh, this is the.
0: This is a recording of the of the sounds of Jupiter by uh, by Voyager. It's a complex interaction of charged electromagnetic mm-hmm. particles from the solar wind, planetary magnetosphere, combined create soundscapes, and then they move them like you mentioned earlier. They shift them into a human range, and this is literally, if you put a mic up to Jupiter, what it sounds like.
1: Because of that, yeah, because of the charges that's going on, it's not. Sound, quote unquote, as you right, right. It's think sort of because you know, in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the the whole electrical pickup that's going on. And uh, and you read very well from the description underneath. Yeah, it,
0: it actually gets creepier. <laughs> Listen to it. This isn't been this isn't synthesized by a machine necessarily. This is the part. This is the machine interpreting what it's receiving. Mm-hmm. And this is the Voyager that picked it up. Uh, very fascinating stuff. I mean, that kind of thing is it is it is really cool to listen to.
1: Yep, I had some people tell me about it, and I had someone uh, send in a uh, go to the website and send in a, a form about it. And I was like, "Yep, may have heard something about Voyager One, <laughs> just maybe."
0: <laughs> Pretty cool. All right. Well, so uh, Heather has more details in the show notes. Anything else on that one?
1: You see where we are. Going to go next and when uh, Voyager 2 joins its partner.
0: Pretty exciting. And Heather has a link to uh, some of the sounds captured by Voyager in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. Oh, my goodness. Well, that brings us right now to a quick little break where I just want to remind folks that there is a way you can keep not just SciBiter on the air, but all of the Jupiter Broadcasting programming on the air. And that is, in fact, it is so easy, you'd almost think it was impossible to be true. But, friends, I'm here to tell you it is true if you're about to shop. At a popular website, like, oh, let's say Amazon, or maybe Newegg, or let's say ThinkGeek, or Best Buy, well, good news, or Woot.com, if you have, uh, or Monoprice, if you have our browser extensions, if you click on one of the links at the bottom of our website before you shop, it will tag your shopping session, to contribute a portion of your purchase to Jupyter Broadcasting. It doesn't cost you any more. We put that into an Amazon account or wherever they pay it out to, and then we pay our bandwidth providers or we pay our partners, whatever it is, whatever the business expense is that month, that helps us defer that cost. A lot of times here on the SideBuy program, though, we don't want to just give you just that when we can arm you with something you might want to purchase. I have a personal gadget that I want to recommend, and I think you're going to hear about some of this if you're a Linux Action Show viewer soon. It's called Foscam, F-O-S-Cam. 80 or actually 75, 76 bucks from Amazon, and it's primable. It is the coolest little toy. And if you've got an iPhone or an Android device, that's all you need to control this thing. Now, you actually there's lots of good desktop software, including one that we're going to review soon on the Linux Action Show, but um you actually can do a lot of this stuff just from an Android app. And, and stuff is like turn on night vision. And stuff includes rotate the camera and pivot the camera and turn on the microphone. And if you get the little bit nicer version, they even have a speaker. And it has built-in Wi-Fi and Ethernet. It's really cool. I've, I've put one out in our studio for experimentation before just to kind of uh-huh. like keep an eye on it. And it's tuned in to see what it's doing. But you could do it for security. You could tie it in all kinds of stuff. And it's a great... Gift to it. Just under 76 bucks It's like just enough where you're like, you show them you care, but it's not too much that you're breaking the bank. So it's FOS Cam. Now, the one that I have
1: here. Let's see. Is this
0: the one? Yeah, I think this As he turns
1: around grabbing. Yeah. The it's the
0: F18910W. And what's cool about it is from the Android app, and there's lots of different apps that do this because it's just a, it's part of a, it's an industry standard. I can actually pivot the camera head from the app. And I can look around and see what my kids oh my are doing.
1: It's so great. I was about to say, you're going to put it in your kid's room. Yeah, and totally. even at night when they're like starting to make noise and oh, yeah. roving about. It's got like night, night vision. vision. Night vision. <laughs> you are playing with your You know your what I'm toys. talking about. You know. Yeah. Hot I am Wheels watching must you. go away.
0: There is a slightly more expensive version that also has a speaker. So you can, you can send audio. <laughs> Knock it off. What are you doing? Get back to bed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They'll be like... Daddy's a USB camera, and he's yelling at us again. <laughs> Dad's everywhere.
0: <laughs> Anyways, there's lots of great things, of course. You can get on Amazon or any of our affiliated sites. So if you just click that link before you shop or if you grab our browser extension, and by the way, if you have our browser extension, especially on Chrome, you might have to reauthorize it. We've uh, done some updates to make it a little bit better of a netizen and also have included uh, new, shot, new sites like Woot.com, but they do require that you reauthorize the Chrome extension. I haven't tried the Firefox one yet because... Chrome is my main battle axe, but uh, I think you might have to there as well. So uh, thanks the to everybody.
1: Extensions are so helpful if you're like me and you cannot remember a lot of things.
0: I know. And you know what's great? I don't know if I've mentioned this on this show. I've mentioned it on the last few times. Um, those extensions, open source, code's available, so anybody in the community can audit to make sure we're not doing anything creepy. But on top of that, we've had smaller communities. Um, uh, I've heard from a couple of churches that have emailed me that have taken the code and have used it so that way the people who attend the church can purchase things that help the church. So they take the code and they just swap out the codes. But I think also like there's a good opportunity there for schools to grab it, where parents oh, yeah. could purchase stuff and then it would help the school or daycares. So it's up on GitHub. It was created by Rikai, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities for some of the smaller communities to kind of take that and you know benefit their communities as well. So it's kind of a cool deal. It's it's uh, neat. It's neat all around, Heather. Yeah. All right. Thanks to everybody who supports our network by doing that, and that brings us to the news bite. Okay, what are we going to talk about in the news (laughs) bite? Because I'm good.
1: An HIV AIDS vaccine. Wow. This Canada is actually being developed by a research group at the Oregon Health and Science University. Now it's very promising. They're being testing right now through non human, uh, non human primate and they've got the primate form of HIV is SIV, which is actually like 100 times more deadly than wow. HIV, but wow. is very similar. So what, it's, what they're doing is they're using this cytomegalovirus, we'll call it CMV. It's a common virus automat- like already carried by a large percent of the population. And they've discovered by using that, com- combining it and engineering it, can actually maintain, actually it's able to search out and destroy SIV, or in human case, HIV-infected cells. Wow. And when they gave it, right now it's, they said, 50% of the monkeys were given it, they were given the SIV after being vaccinated. So they became infected, but over time it actually, there's, immune system was actually able to overcome it and they were able to eliminate the SIV completely. So what it was doing is what it, it was literally, immunizing. Mean, so. They still got the virus, but their immune system was able to fight back against it. Hmm. Now, at this point, it was only 50%. Now,
0: hmm.
1: it, on one hand, that's... And you had you know, to be
0: vaccinated before you were infected?
1: Uh, yes, but I think there was some evidence that it could work. It might be able to work out as well
0: hmm. interesting but
1: so i mean they're now saying all right well i mean all the testing suggests that it's completely you know killed off so I, I, they I, I, are trying to figure out why it was only 50 percent, and can yeah. they affect make the effectiveness greater and how to move it into human testing did as you as read as anything possible? about
0: side effects or anything like that jumped out in the article about like uh,
1: uh nothing was mentioned yeah. uh greatly But essentially at this point, even 50%, you know, if you give this to all the HIV-infected people and 50% of them are able to kill it off completely, that is 50% better better than what we have now. There are a few cases of people being – very few of people being cured, um, mostly when there was a combination – two big ones come to mind. One was a combination of someone who had leukemia and so – They'd had chemo kill off all their immune system and then they got a bone marrow transplant. And then from there, they were able to actually fight off the infection. Another one from uh, an infant, a young kid who had been treated very, very early in life mm-hmm. and was able to overcome it as well. Mm. So, but this is the roughly the most promising huge candidate about being able to. In, in get your immune system be able to fight back,
0: and and the fact I suppose I don't know that maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess the fact that they're doing it on monkeys means that like it's pretty analogous to what they could do for humans, or
1: fairly, but it's it, fairly analogous. Is it
0: though? Because it's like a different type of infection. It's it's what do you call it? SIV.
1: Yeah, but they, that all
0: translates, I guess.
1: Yeah, it roughly translates and. What also helps it is that, I mean, there's a major difference that SIV is a hundred more times deadly. So there is some sort of correlation in the fact that they are similar-ish. Okay. And since HIV is much less deadly, that it's very likely to be able to translate.
2: Right. So
1: because of that, they're looking to, you know, translate, to transition into human testing.
0: Good. That's great to hear, Heather. Um, any other thoughts on that one?
1: No, I'm just kind of waiting to see uh, how that one goes. I will
0: right, well, stand by. I got to punch something on this side by 2000. It's time. Tele- hey. Looks like we got a little viewer feedback.
1: Ooh. Oh, good. So, Michael Thelen on Twitter sent me a tweet. Sent me a tweet, a tweet about this yeah. natural insect gears. So, to the best of our knowledge, the mechanical gear was invented around the time of 300 BC by Greek mach, uh, mech, by the Greeks who lived in Alexandria. <laughs> oh, there you go,
0: Math, mathematicians, mechanics, mechanics. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> I charted to say mathematicians, and then my brain went, "Nope, that's the wrong word. Skip over and move ahead."
0: No, I think that's called a. Let's just call that a tongue sector error. <laughs>
1: okay. No, because the great part is the insect. The is this coleo. Praetress and I really horribly really chopped that up into science. It's also known as the plant hopper, uh, there which we're going to use from here on out. Okay. So what it has is this intricate gearing system that locks the back legs together, so it makes them rotate at the exact same instant, which means which they use to jump forward.
2: Mm.
1: So this is actually kind of the first what they believe to be the first functioning gear system ever discovered in nature.
0: Oh. So now nature beat us to it.
1: Yeah, so what it's doing is it's helping coordination. The grasshopper, the you know, the legs are way out to the side and it can jump, but these insects have their their legs right behind them. So they have to push forward at the exact same instant, or otherwise they're gonna go flying off into one direction or the other. Right, right. So in order to do this, what they what they have is these gears. They're located on top of the insect's hind legs, like 10 to 12 teeth, about 80, 80 micrometers wide. That's 80 millionths of a meter.
0: It really does, though, look like a gear when you zoom in.
1: It does. It's so, it, it really is a gear. It has the exact... It has... Gosh, nature. Gear, it has tapers. Now, I mean, these insects, they can jump at speed of, like, 8.7 miles per hour. They're, so, like, jumping at fairly... Like fifty thousand teeth per second. <laughs> they like cock their little legs back and then into a jumping position, and then push forward, and the legs are geared so they jump in exactly the same moment, and then they can go forward. Gosh, it's that's actually, cool. only the juveniles that have that function. In the adults, they don't have the gears, just as they, the same as the juveniles do. You know, in their little skin molt away, and they get to be an adult bug. They have a synchronizing, a completely an alternative mechanism. They're bigger, they're heavier as insects go, and they use some some sort of friction going on to go to synchronize their legs. They're thinking it's probably because these gears are fairly fragile. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: and you use them, and you lose them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like little teeth. Wear them out, (laughs) and if and if one breaks, then the effectiveness is kind of gone down and it's not such a big problem with the young insects. They repeatedly molt, they grow new gears Mm. before they get into adulthood. So when you're the adult mature, then you don't, they don't molt anymore. So it's kind of impossible to replace those teeth and it would make jumping ever so much more difficult.
0: You know, you almost have to see it to believe it. You audio folks got to go look at the notes. Uh,
1: Really got to. Nature
0: had figured it out a long time ago. It really is a perfect interlocking gear. It's pretty, pretty impressive. And you know what? It makes you realize anytime science is inspired from nature, it's usually a good place to start. Uh, all right. Well, uh, Heather, I was just thinking, while well, we're just way out there in terms of concepts, maybe yeah. while we're up in the sky, should we uh, take a, an update on uh, see what Curiosity's up to?
1: Let's go
2: and lift off of the Atlas Five with Curiosity.
1: Touchdown on It is. Oh, <laughs> Heather, we are so excited,
0: <laughs> Heather. I watched that live. That's one of the highlights of probably the last five years for me. Well, wait, I've had three kids in that time. Dang it! <laughs> All right, what are we talking
1: see, I about? I may have been a little excited on that day. Well, you see, just a little.
0: Uh, the science part of me. It was a highlight for the science part of yeah. me, Heather. So I i know, I know it's a little bit of a slow time for curiosity, but there must be something to talk about.
1: There is. We are on a road trip right now. It had the starting area that they call Yellowknife Bay. And that's kind of in the, that's where they did six months of investigating right there. And they said, all right, our goal is that mountain way over there, Mount Sharp. So they said, okay, it's going to take about a year to get there. Oh. So we're kind of in a... Road trip mode. Now, they did use the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter to kind of spy out a travel path and say, all right, this is where we should go. This is where it's safe. This is where it's interesting. And they said, hey, we're going to mark five points that they're going to stop briefly. So they say, all right, this is waypoint one, waypoint two, and we are got to reach waypoint one. Now, they don't plan to, like, go into the drilling mode in any of these locations unless something really, really crazily exciting is there
2: mm-hmm.
1: but so it, they went to this point and so now they've just arrived there at waypoint one they're calling it Darwin so they're kind of stopping they're they'll be there for a couple days well Martian days which they call souls and they'll get some data they'll but, so they're about 20% of the way there at this point towards the mountain so it's, it's all about getting the data of, we see that water flowed through this area.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: So how, what is the, what did the water look like as it flows through here? And then all the way up to the top of this, what they, you know, what they're calling a mountain. So see, the word keeps jumping out of my brain. Because get, get an overall view of what was going on through this entire area.
0: Now, can I ask you a really beginner, newbie question? So, are, okay. are soul days, are souls, are those the same? Like, is a soul the same on Jupiter as it is on Mars? No. Or, okay. What
1: they what they call a day is re- literally the time it takes to, for, the, for say you have. Right,
0: so it's relative to the planet for going around the sun.
1: Make a dot on a planet, how long it yeah. takes yeah. to rotate. Okay. I mean, there is, some of them, a, a year is shorter than a day.
0: Okay. What, what? Wait, a year-ish? So a paid, year?
1: In order for the, uh, I believe, now I'm going to I'm gonna make it all sad if the science is lifting my brain. Mercury? Yeah. Uh,
0: oh, right. Yeah. 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 Super fast yeah, rotation. So. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's orbiting the sun. It's going, it makes one trip around the sun faster than the poor little planet can rotate itself around.
0: Right, right. Yep. That sounds
1: right. So.
0: Hmm.
1: So, a soul, it's. So, a soul is relative. It's all very relative. Mm-hmm. Now, Mars is fairly close to Earth. Right. And for a while there, the scientists were matching themselves up to a day on Earth. I mean, uh, the Mars. Right. I remember that. So then they finally went to a point where they're like, okay, we can all get normal days again. <laughs> huh. And There was actually a watchmaker who was able to make a watch run on a Martian clock time, which is way more difficult than you might think.
0: And there was an app for that, too.
1: There was an app for that. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> app for that. And Heaven's Revenge in the chat room asks, is that really Mars? Now, a lot of the pictures you're seeing from Curiosity don't have that great, you think it's huge red hue. Right, you know, it's
0: black and white.
1: It, it's red. Or grayscale. Not, not just the grayscale ones, but the color images. And they're calling it white-balanced.
0: Oh, so Which you see a little cool. blue in the rocks and whatnot.
1: Yeah, you, you can see that. And it doesn't look as red as you think it should. Mm-hmm. It's because they've taken it and they've translated it into say, hey, let's pretend we took this chunk of Mars. And put and it, on it on Earth. it
0: on Earth. With a blue atmosphere. and
1: Yeah, with, you know, it doesn't have the red atmosphere and things. Now, sort of, it's so that... Scientists can look at it, and they feel like the geologists can say, "Hey, that looks like this. Hey, that looks like that," because it's right. much it's stuff more they've
0: recognized.
1: Yeah. Now it makes some people sad. Like it's
0: disingenuous it's, in a sense, okay. though. It's disingenuous in a little bit, isn't it? I mean, because it's not what it actually looks like.
1: Well, in a sense, yes and no. Is it what it is doing? Is it's making it more feasible? They're putting out both. They're putting out the yeah, regular image right. and no. Light. I'm
0: not saying that you're trying to trick anybody, but. It is, it is weird to go to a place and take a picture of it and then make that place look like if that place was here. Yeah. It is what it is. But, I mean, they do it, I am totally like what you're saying, so that way they can recognize the objects. I mean, I get the reason for it. It is a little weird, yeah, though. so
1: they can look out and get a quicker view of everything and be like, yes, 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 no, ah, there. Instead of taking a little bit longer to kind of realize what they look like yeah. on Earth, uh, Mars versus Earth.
0: Speaking of time, are you ready to jump in the time machine?
1: Let's go. Oh, oh line, Heather. A little bit
0: of a tingle. A little bit of a tingle. Okay. I'm not going to lie. You know, they always say you shouldn't eat too much before your time travel. This Uh-oh. This week, it takes us to 167 years ago, September 23rd, 1846. Heather, what the heck happened this week in science?
1: Neptune was discovered. A German astronomer... Johanna Gael, discovered Neptune after only an hour of searching. Really? Within one degree, that's one pinky held at arm's length. So he looked at that much sky, and after an hour, he found it. Now, what happened is that they had an English astronomer actually independently calculated the size and the position. say, okay, based upon the irregular orbit of Uranus, we think there is something this big orbiting right here that it would affect the the orbit of Uranus this much. Hmm. So they were like, okay, we think it going be this size and it should be here. And sure enough, they looked out there and in less than an hour, they found it. They I, like the I, I, it should be.
0: I don't know, Heather. I feel like I could have done that. I mean, if I was alive 100 167
1: and, years ago. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, granted. <laughs> I'll give okay, you Okay, let's
1: give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> let us use calculators and computers in the internet. I got that,
0: Heather. I got
1: that. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, there you, you know, go. An abacus.
0: I, I, feel like, I feel like that's worthy of documenting. Neptune discovered 167 years ago. That's absolutely incredible by a German nonetheless. So uh, there you go. All right. Well, with that filed, let me retune the side by 2000. That way we can look up into the sky this week.
1: Right. The planets are doing a showdown this week. We've got Mercury low in the glare of a sunset. You may or may not be able to spy him. Mm. We've got uh, Venus and Saturn hanging around evening twilight low into the west-southwest sky. Venus is going to be the brighter of the two. Saturn this week is going to be to the upper left with its uh, little—you can remember Venus is the brighter. Saturn has its ring, so maybe it's flying a little bit higher. And it's actually going to be moving to the upper right of Venus— So it's kind of going to the upper left to the upper right as the week goes by. You'll be able to see it kind of move in relation to Mars. If you're up at 3 a.m. local (laughs) time, you look to the east, it'll be far to the lower left of Jupiter. And Jupiter around 1 a.m. local is going to be moving high to the east to southeast as it goes towards dawn. So if you are up in the wee early hours of the day, then you could check out Mars and Jupiter.
0: There you go. At 3 a.m. and 1 a.m. respectively. Jeez Louise. Of course, if you're up and you see something up in the sky and you think, gosh, what the heck was that? That sure looked cool. Well, I got a a little bit of advice for you. A little bit of it. Here's a pro tip. Pro tip. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Look for SciBite 102. And when you click on that, scroll down to the bottom of those show notes. Heather has all of that outline. So when you spot that thing up in the sky, you go there and find out what it is. I love that. Right. All right, Heather. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this week's show, doesn't it? I think so. Awesome. Well, a great show. I want to remind everyone you can email us cybyte at jupiterbroadcasting.com or hit that contact link at the top of our website. And don't forget, we're live over jblive.tv Tuesday evenings. Just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the schedule. Heather, thanks for the great show. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Cybyte. We'll see you right back here next week.